Hey, thanks for joining another Barrel Proof Baseball podcast. Today, we're joined by Tim Pearsant, the founder of Chattanooga Whiskey Distillery. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So if you wouldn't mind, kind of talk a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe in a non-whiskey way. Like, what are you, uh, what are you into outside of, outside of whiskey before we, we hit that one? Uh, music was a big part of my life for a long time, and um, I still try to play as much as I can, but I don't, I don't play any gigs anymore. Uh, I guess much larger than that would be my wife and kids. Uh, so I got a, you know, got a family at home and, um, we live in downtown Chattanooga and I was uh, born and raised in Chattanooga and, um, my parents are still here. I've got an older brother that's here and, uh, it's, you know, sports were a big part of our life. Uh, as I was mentioning before we hopped on here, uh, baseball was a big part of our life and as well as uh you know other sports and um and yeah man it's uh just i guess a little bit of everything i i i enjoy uh all types of uh hobbies try to mountain bike when i can and because chattanooga is a an amazing outdoor town with lots of trails and uh it's a big climbing destination i never really got into climbing though and anyways so yeah that's uh, a little bit of everything Nice, man. So, so your story, your history is incredible. Um, and I know we could probably go really into, into detail about it, but, you know, going back to like wanting to start up Chattanooga whiskey and, you know, it's basically, you're starting it in a town where it's illegal to distill it. Um, and given the fact, you know, pre-prohibition, it was a huge, um, distilling community. And, you know, since prohibition, it, it's not been uh, legal. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the legal battle that you had to go through, um, you know, your Facebook ad kind of getting it going and, and how that thing got started? Yeah. So essentially started the company on Facebook and uh, in 2011 when it was illegal to distill. And there were a lot of questions about it online. There were a lot of locals that were asking about it. We started it like we were bringing whiskey back to Chattanooga for the first time in a hundred years. We also asked a question and that is, would you drink it? Would you drink Chattanooga whiskey? And it was a resounding yes. And so then it was about, you know, finding out why it was illegal, why it wasn't here, why hasn't it hasn't been here since prohibition, since before prohibition. So while we were digging, we also were putting all the, the parts together to release Chattanooga whiskey that was not made in Chattanooga because you could source. So we sourced from uh, MGP. It was LDI before MGP. So it was actually LDI when we sourced from them. Lawrenceburg Distillers, for anyone that doesn't know. And we, uh, we sourced, you know, we, we got our, our glass that we wanted. We, we had a local um, graphic designer do a label for us and um, just put all the, all the pieces together to launch this thing locally and also simultaneously lobby to to you know lobby well to discover what the laws were and then lobby to change them so um, it really started as a as just a local kind of city county process step by step and individual conversations we had a law firm that was doing pro bono work for us because locally it was exciting there were a lot of people asking questions it was seemed like kind of the, the beginning of a snowball effect and um, and the, the, you know, the local news picked us up and local newspaper and, and it just kind of got bigger and the questions got bigger and our movement got louder 
And, uh, and then really to, to really push it through, we created a campaign called the vote whiskey campaign because we, we felt like our backs were up against the wall with our local legislation and our County commissioners. We, we were not confident that they were going to vote it through. Uh, we sought an, an, an opinion from the Tennessee state attorney general that, uh, was not even favorable that it was a local law. He really turned it into a state law. So after we had done all this lobbying, Locally, we ended up having to turn our attention to the state, form new state bills, and uh, and and so we, you know, we kept the vote whiskey cam the, the the campaign we created was vote whiskey. We kept it going from again from a local level to a state level. It was just my co-founder and I, and um, and we ended up we ended up having to have a vote locally uh, from the county commissioners, and it was um, and we got a super majority. Although the day of, we weren't sure we were going to get. A majority at all, but we had so many people show up. So many, I mean, we had hundreds of locals show up at the county courthouse in support of this thing that it really just pushed it over the edge. And, um, but they couldn't just pass a bill right there to distill. They basically were letting the state know that they, they, that they were behind us and they, and that they approved it. They would approve it if it were passed. And so we ended up forming state bills and, um, and yeah, and then it was basically from 20, from we started the company in October 2011, and it took us until May of 2013 to have for the bills to go through. And it was a fight, but they went through, and we and it changed distilling for the rest of the state of Tennessee. There's 95 counties in Tennessee. Uh, prior to um, to 2013, in 2009, there was a bill that went through that allowed a few counties to distill. Um, namely Nashville, Nashville's County, which was, uh, Davidson and, uh, but other, you know, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Memphis, uh, and a lot of other counties, most counties couldn't until our bill went through in 2013. And then, you know, we took us another two years to build our first distillery in 2015, but, uh, but the, the distilling scene kind of exploded in Tennessee after that 2013 bill. There's been a lot of distilleries to pop up more than uh more than 30 now and um there's a tennessee whiskey trail that was formed out of the tennessee distillers guild and it's, it's been an exciting it's been an exciting road that that kind of was spawned from that uh 2013 you know passage so that's got to be a uh, a huge undertaking to try and change laws locally in a town that's you know for since what 1920 1915 that, that 19, they didn't allow 1915 here yeah so I mean, you got to imagine getting getting some lawyers, even doing pro bono work, which would be a little difficult in town to uh, to take on those laws that have been around for so long. Uh, you know, Chattanooga is a pretty progressive town, uh, even though it's a you know small to mid sized southeastern town in Tennessee. It's 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 pretty progressive uh, from a legislative perspective, maybe not so much, but from a uh, but from a community perspective, it is and. Um, and it's old historic manufacturing and Chattanooga is an old historic manufacturing town. So it's kind of right back where it belongs. Yeah. And, uh, and then of course we were still, you know, in 2011, 2012, we were not far removed from the recession and jobs were important. And so, you know, we coined it as a jobs bill. That's cool. So there's a, there's a perk other than just uh, being able to distill whiskey there, yeah, get some right. community in there and uh, make some money and, and hopefully it's beneficial for everybody. That's pretty cool. 
one of the cool things I think is uh, about whiskey in general, especially bourbon, is just the you know significance. There's a huge historical significance, and there's you know names and things that have been around for so long. And so I found it really interesting. And uh, about the House Bill 102, yep. and the the significance of the 102 throughout you know your your branding and and uh, moving forward with the, the number 102. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, 102 years um, since prohibition when we, uh, when we opened, not only, so we opened the experimental distillery in 2015. That was exactly a hundred years from prohibition. It took us an additional two years because we make straight bourbon whiskey. So it had to be aged for greater than two years. So it took us another two years to come out with our uh, first, with the first real made Chattanooga whiskey since 1915. We, uh, uh, we have all of, our, um, all of our experimental batches, unless it's like a liqueur or a single barrel, all of our experimental batches are proofed to 102 proof to honor that. And, uh, and yeah, and of course, House Bill 102. So, so you, you mentioned your, your experimental batches. So you kind of talk about, you've got two distilleries, right? Yep. So there's one that's purely experimental and then the other one's got your 91 and 111 plus some experimental. Can you kind of explain the difference there? Yeah. So the, when we built the, the experimental distillery in 2015, we utilized that as a, um, as a, a roadmap to our future 100% Chattanooga made whiskey that would replace the LDI whiskey. And so, uh, every week we would put away a new recipe and we've continued that. And, uh, and we, every, but we, it was within a framework and the framework was the utilization of specialty malts in bourbon specifically. So, so after, from 2015 to 2017, we put away over a hundred different unique recipes, a hundred different barrels, um, utilizing over a hundred different specialty malts across those hundred barrels. And, uh, and we're able to select our flagship when we built our Chattanooga Whiskey Riverfront headquarters. So the Chattanooga Whiskey Riverfront headquarters was established in March of 2017, exactly two years after we established the experimental distillery. We went into our barrel cellar and the team combed through those 100 plus recipes, those 100 plus barrels and selected barrel number 91 as our favorite to scale up to Riverfront and replace 1816, which was the LDI three grain bourbon. And, um, and in that process, that two year process, we also coined and trademarked our own style of straight bourbon whiskey called Tennessee High Malt. So 90, the, the barrel 91 uh, Tennessee High Malt recipe that we selected was a four grain bourbon that had three select specialty malts in it. And uh, it was, it was non-GMO yellow corn, malted rye, caramel malted barley, and honey malted barley. The reason we selected it was because we felt like it was the best combination of a classic traditional bourbon and the, you know, uh, combined with the deep, rich, complex uh, profile that we were searching for with the addition of all the specialty malts. So there's, there's a, is there, is that the, the reasoning behind the 91 proof? It is the 91st. Okay. Yep. It's always, there's always some sort of significance behind everything. It's pretty cool. Uh, I'm glad you noticed. I did. Yeah. I picked up on that one. 
but I noticed also like on, even on the bottle, you talk about kind of the malt forward, you know, profile that you're going for. Is that something that's definitely like unique to bourbon or even the amount that you're going with and adding a fourth grain? I mean, how did that come about and how is that more, you know, unique to what you guys are trying to do? Yeah, well, Grant's, Grant's background, Grant McCracken is our head distiller. He came on uh, right at the, the beginning of uh, the construction process of the, the experimental distillery. And, and he, you know, we were, he really loved our history, our short history of changing laws, saw the opportunity to really do something different in the industry, in the whiskey industry. And because he came from, he was a, you know, a head distiller for a prominent brewery and was head of R&D, his, um, you know, his experience in working with specialty malts was far and above what any other distillers was. And so, you know, he really pushed me to continue to push the envelope and making our own unique recipe, but our own unique flavor profile. And was confident that specialty malts in bourbon whiskey was the way to go. So most of the recipes we did were four grain um, of those hundred. Um, but we explored all kinds of specialty malts. And really the mission was a bolder, it was just a, a bolder, richer bourbon. Like that was our mission. Um, of course, we wanted it to be approachable. And that's why we have one at 91 proof. That's why we have one at 111 proof. I uh, say approachable, I mean, like, kind of, you got your, like, your easy sipper, and then you got uh, your big, bold, you know, kind of creamy Robust. mouth. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that the, uh, the four, you know, the four grains, again, it's just most of what we did. Uh, it was really about the utilization of specialty malts driving a specific kind of darker, roastier, toastier flavor profile that we were after. Gotcha. It's, it's, super interesting like when you know that specialty that like people put on the their own bourbon their own whiskey that they want to make i mean it's cool that um it doesn't seem like there's a lot of brands that are going with the the fourth grain and going with as high of malt by by any no there's not i mean there's not a, there's there are you'll see four grains are i feel like four grains are increasingly popular from a craft perspective mm -hmm. but because craft whiskey doesn't always get the best rap it's uh the four grain doesn't necessarily either, but it's just all about it's all about recipe and approach. And I mean, we 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 spent years developing this recipe, so it wasn't like we were like, hey, we just really want a four grain bourbon. I mean, we we were going after a specific taste profile, and I think that's why in our case, it's worked as well as it has. And there's a, I mean, obviously Tennessee whiskeys, as people think about it, thinking about like the Lincoln County process and, and charcoal yeah. filtering. Is there a, is there a reason why you didn't do that? Is that more to distinguish yourself as a bourbon and not necessarily a Tennessee whiskey? Yeah, that's exactly why. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we were, uh, not interested in the charcoal filtration process because, we were going after a bolder flavor bourbon and that's a, the filtration, the charcoal filtration processes would, would tame that down. And, um, and you know, bourbon was our history. The LDI bourbon was our history. And so we didn't want to, uh, we obviously, we went, I guess, decently far away from that, but we didn't want to leave it in the dust because we wanted to, we wanted an approachable bourbon at the end of the day. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yep. And you guys typically 
go with a longer um, fermentation process too, right? Seven day versus like a typical three day. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's is that what what or what is that? What's that going to bring out differently in in the whiskey? Um. So it it really what it does is there's not as much there's not the, the yeast isn't as loud the yeast esterification isn't as loud as it is in a three or four day to six six percent ABV we go you know seven days to ten percent ABV so the um, it celebrates the mash bill a lot more um, and it really helps with the richness and complexity and that's again that's why that's why we take the extra time the louder yeast kind of covers up a lot of your your mash bill uh, flavor profile and and so you know, it's a craft brewing tactic that Grant implemented that I think has been one of the many steps that we've taken that have proven to be the difference maker. Uh, one of the things I heard you talk about that I thought was really cool was the, you know, really putting all the effort into making good beer, you know, before making yeah. good, you know, distilling it to good whiskey. Yeah. Um, I think that, that that's pretty cool. Like knowing that the, the process that's going in and, um, the amount of attention that's being put into just the process of making the good beer and not necessarily just having the, the end goal in mind, but knowing that process is going to make the end goal really good. Yep. I think it's pretty yep. cool. Yep. Um, the Solera barrels, what is, can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah. So a traditional Solera barrel is, are they're stacked barrels and uh, stacked like a pyramid. Ours is one large Solera barrel vat and it is white oak. It is charred on the inside. It has the same elements as really the same properties as a 53 gallon barrel. Um, it does not go into the Slayer barrel until it's fully matured in a 53 gallon barrel. So it's really a finishing, it's more than an aging. And what, you know, it holds, our Slayer barrel holds 100 barrels approximately. And we bottle, when we load in, we load eight to 10 barrels in. When we load out, we went to bottle, it's eight to 10 barrels. So you're always topping it up and you can never perfectly extract a barrel out of it once it goes in. So you're always leaving nuances of every barrel behind, creating greater complexity and also improving with consistency from batch to batch as well. How, how long do they stay in the Solera barrels? It's all based on supply and demand. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it, that's the thing about Solera barrel is once a barrel goes in there, it's in there indefinitely. Now, is that more for blending and consistency, like you said, versus yeah, pouring more? Well, it's for, it's, yeah, it is. I mean, it is, it is, you're blending, but it's the same recipes. It's not a blended whiskey, obviously. It's a bourbon yeah. whiskey. Um, but uh, it's all the same. 90, 91 is all the same recipe. It's a, it is a combination of both four chars and three chars with a toast. Because when we barrel, each batch is 50-50, four chars and three chars with a toast. Hmm. So it allows those barrels to commingle and, and pick up the different nuances from each other. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it even creates its own little taste profile. Or, um, but that barrel just evolves over time and, and becomes more complex over time. Sure. So you're not just using the, the one single barrel by itself. You're... you're it's with others of its, uh, of its kind, more or less. Right. right. That's cool. Yep. So, so for you personally, what was it like when you went from using the LDI sourced bourbon to putting out your own bourbon that you've made? Uh, it was the scariest thing we've ever done. <laughs> and 
it was the best thing we've ever done. Uh, we, we truly ripped the Band-Aid because we, when we started, we, when we finally built a distillery, which was the experimental distillery, we didn't lay down anything that was the same thing really as 1816. We had already just decided right then and there that 1816, that LDI recipe was not going to be our future. And so we just started, we went down the path of, uh, of exploring specialty malts day one. So there was no fallback plan. It was one of these recipes is going to work out for us. And that's just how it's going to be. And we ended up building a 50,000 square foot distillery two years after that, just with the confidence that one of these recipes is going to be our flagship and we're going to scale it up. So it was a huge risk compared to, uh, or just, you know, compared to a lot of other things that you see in the, uh, in the industry. And, um, and, you know, the, we, we ripped the Band-Aid uh, on both the product and the package at the same time. Uh, August of 2019, 1816 package, 1816 product was out. And Chatterney Whiskey 91 and 111 were in. So 1816 is no more. No. You can oh. get, we, we have some leftover bottles that we'll sell out of our gift shop. But mm -hmm. other than that, no, it's, it, we haven't sold it in uh, a year and a half. So. Oh, wow. So it's yep. all, all 91 now. Yep. That's great. Yeah, we scaled up about a dozen other recipes from the experimental distillery to Riverfront, um, which uh, which 99 rye came from that as well, mm -hmm. um, which is a malted rye. And we've got we've got bottled and bond that's coming out. That's a combination of different recipes, but um, but 91 and 111 are our flagships. That's awesome. Yep. Can you kind of go into um, some of like the experimental bottles that you've that you guys have done and. Also for you and your position as founder, like what is your level of creative control? I mean, how much input do you have to your master distiller where you're saying, Hey, like, let's try this out. This sounds cool. Or is he going to you with your, with his ideas? Oh, he beats me up all the time. <laughs> um, no, he, it's uh, it's, that's, what's cool about our, we're still, you know, hundred percent independently locally owned mm -hmm. and and we don't have, I mean, our, there's, there's no outside influence. It's a, uh, it's a hundred percent collaboration, team collaboration. Uh, Grant has, Grant's passion is, you know, R and D and creativity. Um, but, uh, but he's got also a great distilling team with a lot of great ideas too. So I would say more times than not, I mean, it's Grant, it's Grant and the distilling team coming to me and the marketing team and saying, Hey, we've got these concepts and the marketing, I mean, we sign off on everything. <laughs> there's very, I, mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything we've really shot down yet, but that's the beauty of the experimental distilleries. It's pretty low risk and it's a barrel, two barrels, three barrels or something. And they all, and it always sells and sells out. And uh, we've done over three, we've done over 320 experimental barrels. We've released over 35 experimental, you know, batches slash single barrels um, since August of 2017. And, um, and like I said, we scaled up about a dozen of those recipes to Riverfront. But we haven't, we haven't done anything at Riverfront that didn't, that wasn't inspired by something at the experimental distillery. So we explore it at the experimental distillery, and then we can decide whether or not we want to scale it up at Riverfront. 
Anything that's, uh, that's done particularly well from the experimental side that you would um, consider releasing more on a full-time uh, basis? Or is that more of a, you know, once it's out, it's out? And sorry if you missed it. It's definitely, as far as experimental batch is concerned, um, or anything, uh, when we release it out of the experimental, it's once it's done, it's done. Sorry you missed it. But uh, that's kind of what makes that place special, is sure. when you go there, if you have an opportunity to buy or taste an experimental, then, you know, that's, that's, that's history in the making. It's, it's gone. And um, so, or it will be gone. So the, uh, yeah, we've, we've done some things beyond the 12, beyond the dozen recipes, you know, that, that um, I'm really excited about that. I hope we can scale at some point in time. We've done some liqueurs. We had a coffee liqueur that was just, you know, incredible. We did a fig amaro liqueur that was incredible. Those two just recently came out and sold out instantly because they were so good. Um, and they were high proof too. I mean, you know, 70 to 80 proof for a liqueur is high, obviously. So, uh, and they were high malt bourbon base, you know, minimum two years, two to three years aged. And um, so super high quality, super unique and super tasty. And I'd love to be able to scale them, but you know, 91 and 111 these are the recipes 99 rye i mean they're they uh there's a pretty significant demand for them and so we're just trying to keep up with supply there is, does the the 91 and 111 are those they are those the same mash bill and you pull them out and and yes. proof it they are so yes. you proof the what what's it go into the barrel at 115 and then do you prove it to the 91 yes. or to the one? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Prove it to 91. We proved it to 111 because uh, we needed a, a, a cask proof mm -hmm. that was, that we were capable of hitting on a regular basis. And that's why it's at 111. Gotcha. Okay. Um, can you take me through these? So I've got the, uh, I've got the 91 and the 111 here. Yeah. Kind of talk about just these particularly with, you know, flavor profiles or, or anything, uh, anything particularly that people should be looking out for when they get an opportunity to try it. Yeah. So, um, with 91 and 111, because I mean, again, the same recipe, uh, in 111, the specialty malts are going to stand up even more than 91, but they're both going to be malt forward bourbons. And so mm -hmm. you'll have a lot of people that'll be like, Oh yeah, I get it. It's a malty bourbon. And, uh, a lot of people are, you know, seemingly love it. And there's some people out there that don't like a multi bourbon, um, but uh, but we, the reviews have been awesome, and and it really is just a darker roast. It's like a it's like a dark roast coffee, right? Or it's like a um, it's like dark chocolate versus milk chocolate. You have a lot of people that prefer milk chocolate versus dark chocolate. I don't know why you would, but yeah. <laughs> but no, it's like, I mean it's like a thing. <laughs> it, it's it's designed to be an approachable bourbon, though. It's designed if you want to mix it in old fashioned, if you want to. If you want to uh, have a whiskey ginger, that's great. You know, it's a great, uh, it's again, it's a bourbon. Mm -hmm. um, but the Tennessee high malt aspect is going to create some like darker kind of roastier toasty notes. So imagine like, uh, like honey, honey covered toast, you know, um, or, uh, or graham cracker. There's a graham cracker note in there that I think is pretty prominent. And then, uh, you know, you've got, um, Maybe if, if it's fruit, it might be a little bit of dried apricot. So I know there's a, there's a hint of fruit in there that kind of expresses it that way. You're going to get a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of butterscotch, some of those classic bourbon notes for sure. Uh, the, the, the butterscotch note um, and almost chocolate note stands up 
big time in 111. And that's like a dessert bourbon compared to I'm 91. Not, I'm not good about getting chocolate out of bourbon. I don't know what it is. That's just something I just don't ever tend to get out of bourbon. This one fully, I get a definite chocolate out of this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very popular tasty note on, uh, yeah. on that. And those, that's those specialty malts going to work as well as all the other tactics we do uh, around it. It's long, cold fermentation, barrel entry, all that stuff. Sure. So, yeah, and the 91 proof is just, it's an approachable bourbon. That's why it's proof to 91. It's an easy sipper. It's a medium bodied. Um, it's a, you know, medium finish. And that's all versus 111 where it's big bodied and, mm -hmm. and uh, long lasting finish and lots and lots of texture, and, you know. So. I didn't get a big, uh, I didn't get that like hit from the proof though on the 111. Cause I feel like there's yeah, a lot of, uh, there's a, there's so many things that go into the distilling process that can make a product more approachable overall. Mm -hmm. And of course the recipe again is the foundation, but I think a long cold fermentation is one is, is, is a secret that makes a, I mean, you got to put the time in, mm -hmm. but, um, that makes for a product to, uh, to, you know, uh, be more approachable, uh, not quite as astringent. Is it, is the, the seven day fermentation, is that significantly cooler than the, the three or four day? Yes. It is. Yeah. Oh yeah. By probably 20 degrees. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. This, uh, this one elevens the, the mouthfeel is definitely different. I see what you're saying about like the approachable, you know, feel from that 91. It's really nice to sip on. Um, yeah. I had to try it first before we jumped on here because I was on one last week and it was like my first sip of the day at 11 a.m. and I didn't uh, <laughs> I didn't respond favorably uh, with my, my first sip, but I, I really like that. And then that 111's outstanding. Awesome. The, the mouthfeel on that's incredible. Awesome, thanks. Um, so are you guys are you guys open right now with the distillery? You guys do any tours or anything like that? We are. We reduced capacity um, back when the pandemic hit. Uh, we shut down during the shut during the overall you know shutdown for two months um and then we opened back up at about a quarter capacity and we haven't operated at greater than you know probably a third or you know max a half capacity since since we opened back up but it's doing really well there's a lot of people that are uh that are driving to chattanooga or driving through chattanooga there's a lot of people that are coming up just to take the tour and even at a very you know reduced capacity, um, we're we're seeing some uh, great success out there. That's great. It's well deserved, man. This is really good whiskey. I really enjoy it. Oh, thanks. Thank you. What's uh, what's expansion wise? What's it look like for you guys in terms of you know getting getting some bottles out you know Arizona way? Not for you know myself personally, yeah, but uh, just people. Just yeah, distribution or yeah, moving forward. Um, yeah. So. We are in, we were in 12 states in 2020. We'll be in 14 and 2021. We're really just kind of filling out the Southeast and the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And our, our demand is pretty significant. Uh, so it's going to be, it's, it, while we have a larger craft distillery, um, we're still just, we just need to make sure that we can take care of these markets. Sure. So it'll probably be a little while before we expand beyond these 14 states. So um, if you want to, if, if now we, we are on Sealbox, uh, or you can go through our website, mm -hmm. go through ChatternewWhiskey.com, and uh, there's an online uh, portal in there that ships to, I think, 28 states. 
Oh, okay. So, uh, so you can go through there and buy, uh, hopefully they ship, you know, to, uh, you know, their, whoever's listening state. And, um, otherwise it's Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, uh, Kentucky, and, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Illinois, and Ohio. And then we are opening Indiana and Louisiana in the next uh, month. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's starting to expand. So people that are traveling around out there will definitely, uh, find a opportunity to get their hands on some bottles, I think. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Any, uh, any interesting expressions coming out in the near future that you would like to uh, get people excited about? Yeah, Tawny Port. Uh, so we're doing a barrel finishing series uh, in the first release, and it'll be an annual thing. It'll be an annual release, and it'll go into distribution. The first one is Tawny Port, and uh, that comes out next month. And then in... In summer, we are releasing our bottled and bond, and that is not just one recipe. It's not even the 91 or 111 recipe. It is actually a combination of four different recipes that we scaled up mm. from the experimental distillery. So it's, and there's two vintages per year. There's a uh, there's a spring vintage and fall vintage every year. So, wow, that's really interesting. Yep. Is that now will that go to everywhere that you guys have distribution at? Yes, it'll okay. be it'll be limited, but yeah. yes awesome well where can uh, where can people find chattanooga whiskey on uh, social media uh our, we're most active on instagram so if you go check us out at uh so yeah instagram backslash at chat whiskey that's two t's um also you know we're on facebook or uh twitter even though we don't really do anything with twitter we used to but not anymore um and then um you know, so you, but I would say, yeah, uh, hit us up at Facebook or Instagram, go to, uh, go to our website. If you want to read up on all of our experimental releases, all of our, I mean, our, we keep all that stuff up to date. There's a lot of great information on, on our website. Uh, you know, our newsletter too. You can subscribe to our newsletter on our website. Um, we don't, we, we actually, we're really uh, strategic with our newsletter. We don't just send out like promotional deals all the time. It's mm -hmm. when we're generally doing product releases that right. we send out a newsletter. And so, uh, so yeah. And, and then of course, come to the experimental distillery. It's, it's an amazing experience and Chattanooga is an amazing town. Yeah. They got to get, get some people out there, man. That'd be awesome. I yeah. need to, uh, I'm out that way. I need to come by and check that place out. It seems really yep. cool. So Tim, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate your, your knowledge about this, this, uh, not only the whiskey itself, but being able to share the history of the, the brand. It's really awesome. Well, you seem like you have a lot of knowledge about uh, bourbon yourself. So appreciate the questions and uh, thanks for reaching out. And um, yeah, I've enjoyed talking with you, Tony. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. 